Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Maybe we're feeling pressured because we got to get out the door. We have an appointment or, you know, we have, we have to be somewhere. Um, Or we had an argument with our spouse or we're tired. Like all of those reasons will feed into why we aren't our best selves. You know, at other times when we're feeling better, we'll handle those moments more gracefully. So, so there's a connection between how people feel and how people behave. So if we want to help kids to behave better, it can help to pay attention first to how they feel. You are listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 320. Today, we're talking about how to talk when little kids won't listen with Joanna Faber and Julie King. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad to be connecting with you today. Thanks to my, to my lovely daughter, Sora, who is 11, for helping me do this intro today. And if you listen to the very end, you can hear a little bit more of Sora. <laughs> this is an amazing episode. I love talking to Joanna Faber and Julie King. They have so many great things to say. They're masters of how to communicate with little kids. Today, we're going to talk about their new book, How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen, Whining, Fighting, Meltdowns, Defiance, and Other Challenges of Childhood. Together, they demystify the common reasons why kids don't listen and expertly navigate us through several common scenarios using playfulness, empathy, and sometimes just taking a few breaths. So if you have ever wondered like, how many times do I have to ask my child to do something before it ever gets done, ever, ever? This is the episode for you. I know it is going to be a powerful one. Of course, everything we talk about in this episode, being able to respond in these skillful ways depends upon us being able to calm our reactivity, to be able to understand and take care of unconscious triggers so they aren't popping up, to be able to manage our own emotions in difficult parenting situations. And that's what the Mindful Parenting course does expertly and leads you through that. That is the whole 
whole first half of the Mindful Parenting course because everything Joanna and Julie talk about depends upon you being able to access your whole brain so you can parent well. And that is often the missing piece. If Joanna and Julie's book, it's not working for you, this might be the missing piece. So if you would like to know more, we have the lifetime membership in Mindful Parenting, which includes, you know, 36 hours of live parent coaching a year and you get that for a lifetime so you get hours and hours and hours of live parent coaching from me and my certified mindful parenting coaches you know so you can ask your questions on any subject any situation and also then like when your kids are older you get to ask those other questions that pop up because I promise you (laughs) those questions don't stop coming so if you would like to know more go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the waitlist and we will let you know when we open the doors next time. And we have an affordable self-study option now as well. So that is there for you at mindfulparentingcourse.com. All right, I think that's all I have to say today. Join me at the table as I talk to Joanna Faber and Julie King. So excited to talk to you about your new book, which I really enjoyed. I spent some time at the pool reading how to talk when kids won't listen. So I'm just excited because, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like you had a lot in how to talk so little kids will listen. So now we'll kind of dive into maybe what was left over. But what are the, what are some of the, I would guess that my first question that I'd love to ask you is like, what are some of the reasons why kids won't listen? Because you're, this is, you know, why do they why do they ignore our requests and and all that stuff? Why aren't they listening to us? Well, there's lots of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with one. Kids don't like to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want us to say put that down, get your shoes on, we're going. Uh-uh-uh, you know, not, you know, no more playing. They they don't like to be told what to do, and it's a dilemma for us because there's so many things we need them to do, right? All day long. <laughs> So, so, I mean, I'm answering your question, literally, why don't they listen to us? Because they don't want to sometimes. (laughs) Well, no one likes to be, have commands barked at them like all day long, right? Like if you're a two-year-old, your life is like, you know, eat breakfast, put away your bowl, put your shoes on, brush your teeth, put your, you know, it's like a constant string of orders, really. You forgot, get down off of there. Get down off of there. Of course, there's that one, (laughs) you know, (laughs) stop pulling your sister's hair, all of those things. So it's like constant stream of orders and no one likes to like be ordered around, I guess. Not at any age. I don't. And they don't see the point of it. Like, why do we have to wash our hands? They're like, I did that yesterday. And the day before, it's enough already. I've mastered that. What a different challenge. (laughs) They're slightly clean, right? (laughs) I remember when my son was two, my oldest was two, and it was time for dinner. And we did have this expectation that everybody washed their hands before dinner. And I said, you know, time to wash your hands. And he said, no. (laughs) I remember thinking, my first thought was, well, don't wash your hands, don't eat dinner. And then I thought, hmm, how is that going to go with a two-year-old, <laughs> hungry two-year-old, you know, battle of wills. So I had to switch tactics. And, I, you know, we talk a lot about being playful. I, I decided that was the best strategy for a two-year-old. And I said, and he was really into Sesame Street. So I said, you know what, Asher? Actually, I used to say that a lot when I had no idea what I was going to say. Was just stalling for tactic. time. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> but I said, a good tactic. What? Stall for time. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, okay, he likes Sesame Street. He's been to Big Bird. I said, I heard that Big Bird is has escaped from Sesame Street and he's hiding in kids' bathrooms. Should we shall we go and look in our bathroom to see if he's there? And Asher says, Big Bird in the bathroom? Of course, now we run to the bathroom and he looks around. Is he there? No, I don't see him. I said, Well, look in the sink. Is he there? No. <laughs> turn the water on, maybe you could catch him. And now at this point, he knows it's a game. So we're playing, looking for a big bird. He's not in the water. We check the soap, not in the soap, Try the water again. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's in the towel. He's not anywhere. Well, maybe he's at the dining room table. No, not there either. I guess we'll just eat dinner. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I, I, that, that became the activity of the evening before dinner because washing hands was just too boring. So he needed, yeah. he needed me to spice it up a little. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, 
One of our top skills that we really emphasize in the book is is to use playfulness. And and I think, you know, we we sometimes lose sight of the fact that, you know, kids live in a world where they learn through play and they experience the world through play and they interact through play. And we adults live in the world of do this, do that, hurry up, hurry up. And we often don't feel very playful. Um, but so we give parents a lot of examples of how you other parents have used playfulness in a lot of particular situations. And and it just, you know, not not only does it get things done, but it it lightens the mood and it makes people feel connected and it makes people feel cooperative. So that's that's one of our our skills that we that we um, have a lot of material on. Yeah. And, and oh, I, I just wanted just to go on a little tangent here when you say, why don't kids listen? Another reason why kids sometimes don't listen is just because they're involved and they're concentrating on something else and we want a response. And if you think of how you would want to be talked to as an adult, you know, say I came up to you, Hunter, when you were preparing for your next podcast. And I said, Hunter, Hunter, you know, I'm, I'm going to the deli. You know, what do you want? Do you want a ham on rye? And, 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 you know, you're busy, you're concentrating, you're trying to finish your sentence. I was like, Hunter, I need an answer now. Hunter, are you listening to me? Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Um, I'm telling uh, <laughs> Joanna, you know, enough. Uh, right. Stop. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, so if you think about it, you know, we, as adults, you would probably rather I say something to you like, you know, Hunter, I, I can see you're busy. I have a question for you when you're ready. And then you could say to me, okay, let me just finish this sentence or, you know, I need five minutes. Uh, and we often don't uh, extend that same respect to kids because whatever they're busy with, we don't consider that of vital importance. But to kids, their, their work is play. And it's just as important to them as our work is to us. So, you know, yeah. if we can approach a kid and say, I, I used to say to my son, you know, Dan, uh, I have a question for you when you're ready. Because otherwise he wouldn't look up. I mean, people, I've had many people ask me, have you had his hearing checked? Because when <laughs> I would say his name, he wouldn't twitch. You know, he had great powers of concentration. But if I said, if I said, you know, Dan, I have a question, you know, let me know when you're ready to hear it. I could sort of see it working on him. He's curious now. He wants to know what I'm going to say. And, you know, so then in, in a few seconds, he'd look up and say, I'm ready. What's your question? Which I love that. I love it because you're like modeling this great respect for him and his important work as a kid, whatever age he's doing, whatever. You're modeling this important, this respect for him. And then, you know, sometimes we wonder like, you know, parents ask me all the time about disrespect and we wonder why our kids are not respectful of us. But like, if we mm. are going around all day saying, what do you, come stop that, come pick up your shoes, <laughs> climb down off there, put up, you know, if we're barking orders all day long, it's not a very respectful way to treat a person, even if they're a small person, I guess. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and it, if you think of those words coming out of their mouths, um, for you, it's, it's not going <laughs> to fly, right? No you know, but, you know, in our, in our own defense, you know, we're under stress, you know, we have to, mm -hmm. you know, get kids to do so many things and get them out in the morning and get them to bed at night and get them fed. So, you know, it's, it's easy to lose sight of that, which is one of the reasons that it's nice to sometimes look at a book and read a lot of stories and examples of, of what other people are doing, because it helps refresh us. Yeah, yeah, that whole the our ability to be able to take care of ourselves and mm -hmm. and to be able to have enough uh, bandwidth to be able mm -hmm. to think creatively, yeah. to be playful, that all underlies all of this. So you know, I talk in the podcast about you know mindfully taking care of ourselves, and that's something we do a lot, and and that underlies all of this. But let's go back to yeah. the original question. So, like, why aren't kids listening? They're not listening because we're barking orders. They're not, not listening because they're busy involved mm. with, with things. And so let me, let me it may, point out it, that, mm -hmm. that for kids who are on the spectrum, shifting attention 
is a challenge. It, it, you know, it, it, I think it's a challenge for a lot of kids and especially for, for, for kids on the spectrum. So if we understand their neurology, then I think it, it, I'll speak for myself. It gave me more understanding and patience under knowing that what seemed like a simple thing for me to, to go and say, hey, Rashi, you know, what do you want for lunch? You want a turkey sandwich or you want peanut butter and jelly? That was, I, I thought I'm not, all he has to do is for a second tell me, but for him to shift his attention from, he was deeply engrossed in something and thinking, thinking about something, for him to stop and focus on me and focus on this completely different question was it take, took an effort. So, you know, as you said, we have to take care of ourselves. I, I, I was telling Joanna, when I, when I used to do stuff like this with him, I used to actually go in and say, hey, Rashi. And then I would pause and wait for him, for that, for his name to possibly enter his consciousness. Mm -hmm. And then say, I would say something similar, like, you know, I have a question for you when you're ready. And then I would start to count because I needed to do something for myself because I knew it was going to be 10 or 20 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot when I say the numbers, but it's actually a long time to wait in a conversation. It's a really so, long time. You know, so I think understanding what that challenge is for kids is also, for me, it was very helpful to, you know, to be able to, to manage that for myself. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You know, I, I listened to a podcast where someone was, who was I? I forget. It was a, a, she was a sociologist or psychologist. She studied the way in communication that different people, the amount of like, kind of one of the things they studied in recording all these conversations was the amount of pause time in oh, between yeah. responding. And mm. so she discovered that she and like her partner were like New Yorkers. They lived in New York and there was like zero pause time. Like they just like talked right over each other. And that was considered, that's just the norm. That's considered showing interest and being, uh, you know, an interested, you know, polite person. And, but they were in at a dinner conversation with people from like, it was either California or some other country. California, I heard the same one, yes. yes. California they, or some other country. <laughs> another country like California. And they were like, they didn't get a word in edgewise because they just had these differences in pause. And, and this was this was adults who couldn't, mm. who couldn't figure this out. You know what I mean? Who, who just kind of thought, oh, that person's a little cold or that person's mm. a little rude or whatever it is. And so we, we, there are these unspoken assumptions that we have even as adults that we don't realize. And then when we come into it with kids, 
I love how you're saying 10 or 20 seconds because that's an enormously long time. And for us, we don't realize that our assumption is like, we come from this soup of like uh, authoritarian culture. So our assumption is like, that we, we unquestioned assumption that we may not even realize is like instant obedience. Like we, we kind of expect that from kids and you're, you're inviting us to say, pause for 10 or 20 seconds. It, you know, that can bring up all kinds of stuff for people. It's really a radical um, invitation. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I listened to that same conversation just yesterday. So oh. it was with Deborah Tan and that's who you're thinking. Okay, of, great. Right? <laughs> It's, it's, I love her stuff. It's great. <laughs> we need a fact check from here yeah. on the Mindful Mama podcast. <laughs> um, well, from what you're saying, it's not just the expectation of obedience. I mean, you're talking about it, uh, adults as well. It's just, it's sort of understanding the rhythm of someone else's conversation mm. and, and response time and thought process. And, you know, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting to think in, in, in the context of adults. You know, some, some people may need a, a longer lag time to feel invited to respond, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I guess it goes back to that mindset of like curiosity and non-judgment, right? We talk, we talk about that mm -hmm. mindfulness, mindset of curiosity and non-judgment. So immediately, sometimes I guess we go into a situation where we, need to ask our kids something. And, you know, someone might say, oh, yeah, I say my child's name and I'm waiting for 20 seconds and a whole bunch of thoughts pop in the head. Like, what's wrong with my child? What's wrong with me? They're disrespecting me. All of these explanations and stories kind of pop into our heads. And so the, you're saying pause for 10 or yeah. 20 seconds is this is a yeah. radical, wonderful tip. I love this. Can I ask you a question? This is great. Now, this is not going to happen for everybody all the time, right? right. We're going to, we're still going to like bark some orders and yeah, bark sure. and, and commands and, and all of those things. So they're not listening because of the way we're communicating. So are there some ways that we can get our kids through all the processes of the day without, um, without causing that so much resistance to what we're saying? Yeah. Well, so I, I just want to step back behind mm. that question. How do we get kids to do the things we need them to do? Because people hear, like people will hear, how do, how do we talk when kids, so to get them to, do, to, get them to listen, right? People yeah. use that word, listen. And what do they mean when they say listen? What they really mean is behave, right? Yes. Do what I say, right? And so if we're, t if we're asking ourselves, so how do we get kids to behave? Then we, I, I think we first have to think about how our kids feel, excuse me, because there's a connection between how kids feel and how they behave, right? In fact, there's a connection between how people feel and how people behave, right? Think about those moments in your parenting career when you're glad that you weren't on reality TV and <laughs> you barked at your kids or said something cutting, right? Those tend to be the times when we ourselves are not feeling our best. Maybe we're feeling pressured because we got to get out the door. We have an appointment or we, you know, we, have, <laughs> we have to be somewhere. Um, or we had an argument with our spouse or we're tired, like all of those reasons will feed into why we aren't our best selves. You know, at other times when we're feeling better, we'll handle those moments more gracefully. So, th so there's a connection between how people feel and how people behave. So if we want to help kids to behave better, it can help to pay attention first to how they feel. So that's why we start off by talking about the importance of accepting kids' feelings and acknowledging their feelings. And it always sounds so simple when I put it that way. You know, we should start by acknowledging feelings. And people say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I do that. But it's actually very hard to do in the moment, right? <laughs> you know, especially when we're in a rush. We don't, you know, and, or a kid says, I don't want to go to school. And we think, yeah, well, you have to. I mean, it's starting in 10 minutes. We have to go, right? So it's very easy to deny their feelings, especially when we have our own agenda. So, um, so that I actually like to start there first when we're, we're talking about how to get kids to do the things we want them to do. Let's first see if we can get them in the mood. Let's get, see if we can get them, you know, get them feeling better. So they're more likely to do that. Um, so uh, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think of, 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 of an example we can use. Um, 
say your 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 kids you your kid sees a spider and gets really upset and starts to have a, a total meltdown, right? And what do we want to say? We want to reassure them. We want to say, oh, that's nothing to get upset about, honey. It's just a little spider. It won't hurt you. It's probably more scared of you than you are of it. Like we want to use logic and explanation to, you know, to, to calm this child down. But when we say those things, think about it. How likely is it that that child is going to say, oh, I didn't realize. Thanks. That's helpful. Okay. I feel better <laughs> about it now. Right. <laughs> so what can we do instead? We can acknowledge those, those feelings with words. We can say, Ooh, that spider looks really scary. You don't want it to get anywhere near you, right? And, and the reason I'm using that example is that there was recently a study published where they used that exact scenario. And Joanna, do you want to tell them about that study? Why, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured you were going there with that spider example because, <laughs> because I recently um, told Julie about this study. Um, where researchers took um, arachnophobic individuals and they exposed them That's to a me, large, by the way. very <laughs> large me. spider. Oh, me no. too, me too. I didn't even like reading about it. And, and, you know, with one group, they said, oh, it's just a little spider going about its business. You know, uh, you know it's more afraid of you than you are of it. Uh, it won't really hurt you. And, um, you know, they had them practice sort of these positive statements. And with another group, they really encouraged them to express their negative feelings in as strong a language as possible. You know, I hate that hairy thing. I don't want it on me. It's disgusting. It's, you know, terrifying. And what they found was that the individuals who expressed their strong, genuine negative feelings um, had less anxiety, they had less stress. And not only that, but in a in the next session, they were much more willing to get closer to the spider and much more relaxed about it, which is so counterintuitive to most of us. Uh, you know, we wouldn't think, you know, the fear is that if we if we give space for these negative feelings that will be adding fuel to the fire and, and making them bigger and making them worse. But in fact, those negative feelings, they don't go away when we dismiss them. What they do is they just sit in there, you know, and, and cause kids even more anxiety because now they know they're having this feeling that is completely unacceptable. And when we accept them, it actually helps kids, you know, let go of it a little bit and, and, and start and learn to relax and, and do perhaps, you know, what you're encouraging them to do. Uh, so that's, yeah. you know, that's a powerful thing to know. Um, so, you know, yeah. just for three quick examples, because not everybody has a hairy spider, um, you know, so instead of, yeah, I'd you like know, us when, to move on from this you know, example, when, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let's move away from the spider. Move away from the spider. La, la, la. You know, so instead, when your kid says, "I, you know, I hate my brother," you know, instead of saying, "Don't say that about your brother," you know, you love him. You know, you can say, "You sound really angry at your brother right now. Something he did really upset you." That's not going to make him feel more angry about his brother. That's actually going to make him feel less angry. Um, you know, when your kid is melting down about homework, we want to say, "You know, here, it's easy. I'll help you." Um, instead of saying that, you can say, oh, long division can be really frustrating. There's so many steps. And, and that will actually make them, you know, give them a little more courage to face the task. Um, you know, if they're complaining about, you know, in, missing a trip, you know, instead of saying it's, it's not such a big deal to miss a trip, you know, you'll go another time, um, you're overreacting. You know, you, you can say it's so disappointing to have a fever. You were really looking forward to that trip. Um, you know, that that's going to be what makes them have, you know, the feeling that they can handle that disappointment. Just the sense that someone else understands what they're going through. And really, it's what we would want for ourselves. You know, if, if we're upset about something, angry, disappointed, frustrated, we wouldn't want someone else to say to us, oh, that's nothing. You're overreacting. You know, we would want them to say like, oh, that's so upsetting. And that's what would make us feel better. That yeah, act of yeah. emotional generosity. You, you hear me, you see me, you get it. 
yeah, that's what we want from our friends. Yeah. And then some, yeah. And sometimes then we turn around with our kids and we're like, no, we just, just don't have those feelings. Sometimes people worry that, that if, um, that some, some kids can, like when we reflect back and we're empathetic about these feelings, some people worry that kids can get stuck in like a loop. Like some kids are like, mm. yeah, and it's terrible. And they get kind of go in like a downward spiral. What, what is your advice for when something like that happens? You know, I think that um, it's the delicate balance between how much to acknowledge feelings and how to help kids move on. Mm. And um, I, I you have to you have to sort of read your child. I I'm always reminded of a story that Joanna told me about Sam with the ice cream at the park. Do you, you know, I I can tell it, but you'll tell it better. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Joanna? <laughs> oh, he dropped he dropped his ice cream. You know the classic kid thing, and he was he was crying and wailing. And I said, Oh, you're so disappointed. You were looking forward to eating that. Um, you know, and and he was deep in the abyss of despair. And, um, you know, at, at one point after acknowledging his feelings and I, I just felt like, you know, he needed a little leg up. He needed some help out of it. And I said, well, this is really bad news for us, but you know who it's good news for? It's good news for the ants. They're going to have a party. <laughs> and, and, and that sort of interested him and he perked up a little bit. And, and then I said, well, you know, we're missing our sweet treat. What should we have? when we get home, you know, what, what do you think? Should we, should we see if there's some ice cream in the freezer or do you want something else? And that's one way to help kids move on is to, after acknowledging feelings, um, you can give them a different way to look at it and a different perspective without denying that it's disappointing to them. And you can give them a choice uh, to help them move on. You know, so mm -hmm. if a kid is wailing about a, scr a scrape on his knee um, you say like, oh, that hurts. Even a little scrape like that can hurt so much. And you didn't want that to happen. And then you, you can say, you know, it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's a good that skin knows how to heal itself and it grows back together. It's some pretty smart skin you have there. And you can say, what kind of, what kind of band-aid do you want? Do you want the plain one or do you want the one with the, the cartoon character on it? Aww. Or should we draw a little smiley face on it? Um, so, so again, I, I wouldn't start with the other perspective. I would always yeah. start with acknowledging feelings, but, but sometimes after you've acknowledged feelings, they might be open to a different perspective. And I think the choice is, is a great way to go. You know, oh, you don't want your mom to leave. You wish she would stay. <laughs> Do you want to wave to her from the door or the window? And then all of a sudden the kid's like, you know, like, let's run to the window. Let's wave like this. So give them something to do, give them mm. something to think about and something to do. A way to kind of channel that energy. Cause yeah. kids are like every other human being, kids have a natural negativity bias, like in the brain, like we all mm. have that, right? Like that's natural in the brain. So, you know, humans have a tendency to kind of like downward spiral. So it, it's nice to interrupt that, but I, yeah. I absolutely agree with you that the acknowledgement has to come first. Like I hear you, I see you, I accept your feelings. We were just talking about this today in a mindful parenting call and, and she was saying, well, you know, he kind of gets like really deep and negative. Mm. And, and I, I said, you know, you, yeah, like you can listen to their, your child's feelings and you can also hold some space for yourself and say, Hey, I need a break. This is, you're, you're feeling really bad. This is a tough moment. And if it keeps yeah. going, you know, just like, oh, this is a lot to take on. I need a break. I'll come back in a few minutes and I'll check in on you. You know, we're allowed to take care of our own emotional health too, yeah. as well. Um, yeah. So, but what you're saying yeah. Yeah. is like, sure, sure. just you know can. your child, like no, be aware of what's yeah. going on. You know, like it's, it's about kind of a tu tuning in, in awareness to what's, what's happening and acknowledging what's happening. Yeah. And sometimes, as you said, a kid might have more, need more time to grieve than an adult could listen to them grieve. Yeah. You know, so if my child is, you know, extremely, extremely upset that his balloon popped and he's going on and on about it, you know, I can listen to it only for so long before my mind needs a rest. And I might have to say to him, you know, I hear that you're still upset about that balloon popping. You know, I can't, I can't listen, you know, I can't talk about balloons anymore right now. I'm going to go in the kitchen and start making dinner. 
And, you know, you can come in and help me when you're ready. And again, here's another when you're ready. Um, You're inviting them to, you know, have their sad time and come out and you're not saying, you know, come on, you should be over it by now. But you're inviting them back when they feel that they are ready. Uh, And and you're inviting them to to self-regulate. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So I have some more examples and questions for you, you guys, but I'm curious about you, Joanna, having grown up with Adele Faber as your mom, who, who wrote the original book on, on all of this acknowledgement. I I mean, I'm just like, kind of curious, like, do you feel like there's so many of us who just have, you know, all these insecurities about our feelings. We shoot the second arrow about uh, to ourselves about like, what's wrong with me that I'm feeling anxiety and all these different things. I mean, I guess you can't know because you only have your own experience, but you know, I don't have a double blind study with a whole other. (laughs) How secure are you, Joanne? (laughs) I'm so secure. Look at me here. I'm so secure. I, I guess, you know what I want to, I, I, I want to turn it outward um, because who knows how secure am I, you know, 6.3. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to turn it outward and say, you know, well, how good am I at this stuff? You know, just naturally accepting people's feelings. And I feel like somewhat good. Sometimes it comes very, very naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I actually had a parent say to me, oh, you should read this great book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen, because it sounds just like you. You would love it. It's just your <laughs> style. And I thought, oh, I, I really am a natural. But sometimes there are still times when I feel like I'm not a natural. And especially if my kid is, you know, very frightened or hurt or disappointed. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me sometimes to go there because mm-hmm. I think we all want to protect our kids from hurt and disappointment. And sometimes my impulse is to say, you know, oh, it's not so bad. Don't worry. You know, mm-hmm. you know, don't be upset about this. Um, you know, don't be angry about that. Uh, because, you know, who wants their kid to be upset or angry? I, I, the, the difference with me, I feel like is that I know I have, I know in the back of my head, as I try to do that, my kid gets more and more agitated, like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. (laughs) You know, this isn't working. And then I can switch gears. Um, I'm going to, I want to tell you a little quickie of a conversation I had with an adult friend where it was hard for me to do these things that 
absolutely come naturally, would come naturally to me. Um, my friend was on the phone with me and I was going to drive her to the hospital for some tests. And she was telling me, you know what I'm worried about? I'm worried that it's going to be the big C. And, and I just sort of felt a little chill. And, and I really felt like saying, it's not going to be that. Don't even think it. And because I, you know, because I have the intellectual knowledge that I have about acknowledging feelings. And a lot of practice. Uh, yeah, I, I bit my tongue on that. But I had an urge to say it. I bit my tongue and I was just quiet. I'm sure there was one of those pauses in the conversation where she thought, like, is she still there? Um, and then I said, that's a really big worry to be carrying around. And, and she just gave this explosive, yes! in response it is and do you know what people say to me they say don't even think about it isn't that ridiculous mm. and you know i agreed with her that that was completely ridiculous i mean how could you not think about it you know all the time thinking in the back of my head that's exactly what i was going to say that's exactly what i stopped myself from saying um yeah. so again you know sometimes it's natural sometimes it's not natural because just it's hard to protect we want yeah. to protect. Yeah. Sometimes it, it just still feels counterintuitive, except when you, when you hit it right, you get such a good response. Yeah. And then you know you're doing the right thing. Yeah, you're on the, on the right track. Um, yeah. yeah, I appreciate that, that story. And um, so don't be afraid, parents. You can always reassure after, you know, after yeah. acknowledging the feelings. There's plenty of room yeah. for, for, for some reassurance. Um, sure. What so I have a scenario for you. A what do we how would you respond to like a four-year-old hitting a little sibling, like say an 18-month-old or something? Is the baby's annoying the bejesus out of this poor preschooler and the preschoolers run out of tools and is like whacking his little sister? What are some ways to more skillfully stop that action behavior i think before we say anything you know useful we have to separate them make sure this little one is protected i mean that's of course our first you know the first i'm going to go in and separate them but even then you know the language that we use is important it's not oh no honey no 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 you know you're not allowed to hit that child what you know like bad girl like all those things that are going through our head. You're talking about things that go through our head. We're like, stop. You know, we may actually yell, stop, because <laughs> we have to do something quickly if the, if the little one's going to get hurt. But, uh, you know, I, I think as, as we are able to reconnect our thinking brain to how we want to manage this, you know, as we separate them, we'll say, oh, that hurts your sister, or you, no hitting, or, you know, <laughs> you know, tell her, I don't like the crying or, you know, so I'm, I'm asking myself what's happening for this child. I'm, so I'm going to separate her first, separate them, you know, make mm -hmm. sure that little one's safe. But then I'm, I'm, I'm going to think about, okay, so what's going on for my four-year-old? Like, is it that the little one is like, I know with my kids, like just the little one is, would be crying or so noisy that the older one couldn't take it. Or is it that the little one's like wrecking their Legos, you know, and knocking mm -hmm. over their block tower. And then we want to give them this, what skills do we want the four-year-old to use when the one, one and a half year old is wrecking their creations, right? It's actually tricky to figure out how to manage that. We adults have trouble when the one and a half year old grabs our cell phones or our pens when we're working on something, right? So we want to we want to give them a, a, something to, that they can do instead of just telling them what they can't. So how we manage it depends on what the scenario is. We might say, oh, it's hard to have a little sister. You know, she wrecks your things, right? So now I'm acknowledging her feelings. What can we do so she doesn't wreck your tower? You know, and and a four year old might actually come up with an idea like let's put her in you know let's get her, her own toys or can we give her a few of the broken pieces over here she won't know the difference <laughs> so that's the next step would be to you know first acknowledge first separate you know make them safe then acknowledge the the feelings of of this frustrated four-year-old and then give her something that she can do those you know if i those that that's my outline of, of what i how i would approach it and i just want to throw down here um a lot of a lot of parents would feel that if there's ever a situation where you want to punish a child, 
it's when a bigger kid actually hurts a little kid because come on, like how permissive can we be, you know, allowing this kind of thing goes against every fiber of our being. And, and I just want to point out that when a four-year-old who has, you know, limited skills of how to handle an out of control two-year-old lashes out physically, you know, if you punish that kid, it's not actually making the two-year-old safer. You know, because what's the four-year-old doing after, after she's punished? You know, she's sitting there saying like, oh, wow, I'm going to be a lot nicer to my little brother next time. You know, now I realize my, my you know, my evil ways. You know, she's, she's probably really stewing with, with resentment and saying, you know, it's not fair. Mom likes her better than she, than she likes me. And, you know, he always gets away with anything because he's a baby. And next time I'm going to pinch him when mom's not looking. Um, so if we actually want to lessen the anger and lessen the violence, um, instead of just react this is bad, this is violent, so I'm going to hit you. Um, if we actually want to bring down the heat and make the older child feel more fondly towards the younger child, it's what's really going to help is to start by acknowledging feelings. Boy, it's not easy to have a little, a little brother around. They're always getting into your stuff. And what can we do next time? And, and start them thinking about, you know, how can we protect your stuff without hurting your brother? I can't let you hurt him, but how can we protect your stuff? You know, that's, that's the kind of attitude and thinking we want to inculcate, you know, in the child. And that's the kind of attitude and thinking we want them to have as an adult is yeah. not to lash out in violence, but to think about, oh, gosh, I'm feeling so upset about this. What can I do to fix mm -hmm. the situation or what can I do so it doesn't happen next time? And the feeling that the parent is on their side in this and working with them is going to help them really calm down and be able to think about that. Yeah. Cause they won't be able to use their whole brain when they're, they're all activated and they can't learn in that moment. So when you're acknowledging those feelings, I love that, how you mentioned this idea of when they're older, you know, what's going to happen, you know, when you're not there, what you're practicing with them then can happen on their own. Like then we can acknowledge our own feelings and say, ah, oh, I'm really upset right now. This is a stinky situation. What can I do? Right. You know, like yeah. that's what we need as adults. And if we train in that as kids, it becomes that much easier. I hope. <laughs> so, so you can see it as an opportunity. You don't, you can, you don't have to just look at it as, Oh, I'm putting out a fire in the moment. You can say, Hey, this is a wonderful opportunity to teach my kid how to solve problems and think about what kind of solution will respect everybody's needs because you know that's what the work of of growing up is is to you know figure out how to how to relate socially with other people and protect your own needs and respect other people's needs um you know i know it's hard to think of that as an opportunity but it is you know it is it is. Yeah. They're learning yeah. from every moment that we are in, you know, everything they're watching us the whole time, right? Yeah. Like whatever we're modeling that becomes, that's the norm. That's the norm in their world. Yeah. So if we can model acknowledging feelings and, you know, not suppressing them, if we can not, and model like solving problems rather than, you know, punishing and causing that resentment, then, you know, they're, they're learning how to do that, which is, awesome. That's an awesome opportunity. Awesome. Life skill. Yeah. And it, it may help to know for us that, that toddlers and preschoolers, for them, it is extremely normal to get frustrated and lash out physically. You know, that is, you know, what happens at that stage of life as their brain is developing. So it may help us to know like, oh, my child is not a monster. You know, I don't, I don't need to, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, it's normal. You at that. This is, this is, yeah, they're, they're, they are learning. This is their process. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking like, why is my child hitting? Like, she doesn't, <laughs> I don't see hitting in my household. And yeah, it's just, it's so, so normal. I, I can underscore that for Joanna. Before we let you guys go, whining. Oh, oh, you're gonna ask about why? 
Oh, no. What do we do about wine? <laughs> well, <laughs> I lost my confidence. There we go. So, you know, whining. Let's think about it. What what is whining? You know, it's it's a type of survival tactic. So, you know, very young children are dependent on us parents, right? And they have to get our attention to let us know what they need. And when they're little babies, right, they naturally do that by crying. And it's very hard to, um, you know, withstand the cry of a baby without the powerful urge to do something, right? And, um, so when they get old enough to talk, that cry becomes a whine, right? And now it's accompanied by actual words. Mom, I'm thirsty, right? Or on time. God, it's like giving me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> okay, I'll stop because you heard it. I know. I actually suspect that if we could do a little sort of physiological test, we would find that we have a you know physiological response to whining. I think it actually gets our attention in a certain way that other kinds of talk doesn't, right? So like uh, almost every kid at some point is going to experiment with whining. Um, it's, it's hard not to whine when you're feeling dependent. So Joanne and I have this thought experiment in, in our new book where we ask parents to imagine that you're out shopping with your spouse or your partner and you are in the department store and you, you're, you're there to buy a toaster, but you see this green shirt hanging on the rack and you think, it's exact color I need it's perfect. I have these pants and I have this work thing next week and I, I need, I, it would be per, the perfect outfit. And oh my gosh, it's on sale. So you say, honey, I need to get this, this shirt. And your, your, your spouse says, uh-uh, we know we are here to buy a toaster that is not in the budget. We had this conversation already. We're not buying clothes today, right? And, you, and so think about how you, how you feel and how you say, but honey, it's on sale. It's perfect. We have to get it today. It's like, you know, I need it. <laughs> I need it. Right? Our voice goes up. We start to whine, right? Because we feel like I have to convince them somehow. I don't, I don't have the power just to say I can do it. I have to convince this other person. So, okay. So that's, that's often why kids whine. That's, I think it's really important for us to, to sort of be able to relate to it first. And then, of course, that leads us to the question, so how can we respond when a kid is whining? Um, Joanna, you want to? Okay. okay, so so thinking about that state of dependency, um, one of the skills in our book is put the child in charge. So one thing we can do is to make them feel less dependent. And, and you know, this really struck me about the wine because my, my oldest child, I, I think he whined for like a split second. Um, I never remember him whining and I thought it was because I was a great mom, but I, I don't think it was after I had my second child. Um, but, you know, one feature of Dan was that whenever he wanted something, he would get it. So if he wanted water, you know, he would, you know, climb up on the counter and stand up and open the cabinets and go get it. And then he would climb up on the refrigerator shelf. And, you know, he, he was a real go-getter. And then I had the second child who had not only a mom to take care of him, but an older brother to take care of him. So when he wanted something, you know, I found, you know, oh my goodness, I have a whining child. Um, so uh, one of the things that I would do is to say, well, I would, I would use two different skills. One is I would try to tell him what he can do instead of what he can't, because kids aren't very good at just not doing something. So sometimes I would say, you know, Sam, you know, can you ask me, I like to be asked in, in your deepest voice, you know, mom, can I have some water, please? And I'd be very gravelly. And, you know, sometimes he would do that. But sometimes he wouldn't be in the mood to do that. And I would say, well, if you're not in the mood to do that, you can get it yourself. You know, there's a stool and you can, and I would put, you know, things in small containers so that he could get them himself and just spill only the amount of liquid that I was willing to clean up. And, and I started putting a lot of um, things on lower in the kitchen on lower shelves and in lower cabinets so the kids could get themselves their own snacks when they were hungry and pour themselves their own milk. And, um, you know, and sometimes you could sort of see the light go on his eye. Oh, I can do that myself. I don't have to sit here and, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, 
it creates more mess. But, you know, hey, you didn't have kids to have a not messy life, right? And, and what you're doing is you're creating this independent kid. So at one point, you know, you are free to go. They really can take care of themselves. They can, you know, get their own food. They can, they can, you know, all three of my kids were very big at cooking and preparing. And now it's another thing to get them to clean up after themselves. Um, and I'll give you one more uh, example of putting the child in charge that's not around food. Because in my house, we we're all very food oriented. But I've heard from a lot of parents who uh, get upset about their kids wanting to bust the budget, you know, because they want some kind of designer clothing and they'll whine for that. And, and parents tend to get sort of morally outraged that their kids want to spend, you know, three times as much as you need for a pair of boots just because it has the puffy little fur on top that everybody else is wearing. Fake fur. Um, so, you know, I would suggest for that kid put them in charge of the budget, you know, first acknowledge feelings, you know, you can tell your kid, you know, oh, you really like that kind of boot, you know, it's so cool and it has the puffy little fur thing on the top and all the other kids have it. Um, you know, here's our budget for clothes for, for the fall, you know, we need two new, you need two new pairs of pants, you need a pair of boots that will be good in the snow. Um, and it's gotta come in for under X number of dollars. You know, do you want to, you do you want to go shopping with me, or do you want to go look on on the internet and see what you can find? And you know, make it be make it be their responsibility. Then they can start comparing prices and looking for sales instead of having us always in the hot seat, having to say no, 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 that's too expensive. Uh, so that's another way to to help kids be. Uh, less dependent and less whiny and also give them a whole practice with a whole array of life skills. I'll stop there. I love that. I love that. that this insight that it's about dependency is, is really helpful um, because yeah. And, and the voice of course, like, can you ask me that in your normal voice, please? <laughs> um, yeah. But the fact that it's about de dependency is, is really important. And, um, uh, and Joanna and Julie are describing uh, setting your cell, your house up for that. Um, and we have a great episode on that with um, Lorena Seidel called Create Your Optimal Home Environment. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but if you want to oh, listen for that one, you can nice. listen for that one too. Um, oh my gosh, you guys, I could talk to you. About <laughs> I feel like someday we're going to have like a conference and we're going to just hang out and like have drinks at the end of the day and, and just Chattering. That suggests that we would be there in person. Yeah, I think we should do that. I'll I'll have yeah. you come to my mindful parenting conference when I have my next in person conference. You'll be like my big name stars that'll come Ooh. <laughs> in, in this world, which is so cool. Um, Open world. Yeah. It, now, just briefly, is there anything that we, you know, that we could talk? There's so many things that we could talk about. Is there anything that we missed that you were dying to, to talk about today and share with the listener? Um, I would just want my final words to be, you know, we give our kids a million chances and then two more, you know, give your own self a million chances and then two more. Don't, don't be, don't be your own harshest critic. Um, Amen. Dr. Gannat, my mother's mentor, Dr. Chaim Gannat, he, he used to say, no one could do this stuff all the time. We aim for 70%, uh, oh, oh, I forgot his, his best line. He would say, you know, with this, with this approach, you don't have to be orthodox. You can be reform. <laughs> you, we aim for 70%, some days 50% we, is all we can manage. And sometimes even 10% can make a real difference in a relationship. Yes. Um, Yes, yes. Thank you. I, I really appreciate those words because we've got a lot of overachievers in our, in our, as the listener, you know, I'm talking about yeah. you. All right. So I, I have a challenge for the overachievers. <laughs> Final word. Um, we talked today about the challenge of getting kids to do things without telling them directly without, you know, ordering them around or commanding them, you know, put that down, get your shoes on. So my challenge to your listeners would be to see how long you can go without issuing a command. Mm. Like actually time yourself and then 
email us and tell us how long did you go? We're collecting statistics. Oh, Julie, give them our email and our website. Oh, yes. We, we have a brand new website. It's how-to-talk.com. So it's the words how-to-talk.com, but with dashes between the words, how-to-talk. And if you want to write to us, you can write to us at info at how-to-talk.com. And we'd love to hear from your your listeners or, or watchers. I guess you have listeners and watchers. <laughs> Both now. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. You guys are amazing. I love you. I love having you come on the podcast and hearing your, your words of wisdom. And I appreciate it so much. So go check out their new book, How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. I'll, I'll have my little visual here, right up here. And it's fabulous. It's going to be on my recommended reading list and mindful parenting. And I love it. So, and I appreciate what you're doing for the world and how you're helping parents so much. It's, it's a real gift. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on today and sharing with us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. I love how Joanna and Julie recommend this playfulness and this level of lightness and playfulness and that's really really what we need with little kids it's so true we have to kind of step into their world a little bit and and of course to be able to do that really requires that we are able to step out of the adult stresses and calm our nervous system stop the incessant like what to do list you know go 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 mind and be able to be really present it also requires that we start to uncover some of those unconscious triggers that may be driving us to get really upset at some of the little th the things that little kids do and you know take care of our own emotions so that is all the work that we do in the mindful parenting course as well as teaching you the powerful fundamentals of skillful communication for every single age uh, even 11 and 14 year olds like mine so it it really really brings together all the things you need if you're interested and you want to know more Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com, get on the wait list. We'll let you know when we open the doors. We'll give you more information, the Mindful Parenting Manifesto, and then you can join. We have a lifetime membership where you get 36 hours of parent coaching every year for as long as you need it. It's an incredible value because that parent coaching generally costs like $200 an hour. So that times 36, I mean, I don't know what that is, like $8,000 a year worth of parent coaching that you get plus the course, plus all the bonuses. It's really, really an incredible value. But we also have an affordable self-study version. So if you want to know more, you're ready to take that step. If you're ready to step into the possibility of what is possible if you start to transform those things, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. Just get on the wait list. We'll give you information. Check it out. See if it's for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear your takeaways. I hope this has been a helpful episode. Just as a housekeeping, we're going to be pausing, taking a break on the season of our the Mindful Parenting Minis on Fridays. So I would say re-listen to this one. There's so much to learn here from Joanna and Julie. It's so great. So hope it has helped you. Hope it will bring some more playfulness and cooperation into your life this week. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here, sharing your time with me. I hope you're subscribing and sharing this with friends so they can also benefit and we can share it with more of the world. And I appreciate your ears, your time, and you being part of this movement to, to transform the way we parent. It really can make such a huge impact on the world together. So I'm psyched about that. Have a great week, my friend. Namaste. Do you have any advice for people on how to talk to their kids? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your job, not mine. Okay, all right, fair enough. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 